Come in Luke chapter 4 today, and I have a simple question and a simple answer, and we'll simply pray for Kim before we start. Happy birthday, by the way, again, Kim. Come on, it's too early. You can't mess with me like this. The simple question is this. There's one reason people deny Christ as their Savior. One reason. Do you know what it is? It's a one-point sermon. Actually, two points. What's the reason? Here's the reason. The answer is very simple, and it's in our text today. And it's in Luke 4. Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to where? Where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did in Capernaum, do here as well in your hometown. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land, the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only who? Naaman, Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. What happened? He shows up, good little Jewish boy, brought up in Nazareth, reads the scroll in the synagogue. They get all excited, nice words, gracious words, good preacher. He says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they about run him off a cliff and try to kill him. Why? Why'd they reject Jesus? He grew up 30 years in Nazareth. Why would they reject Jesus? It's a one-question sermon. If you answer it, we're out of here. I'm kidding. <laughs> Look at what Jesus preached. Why did Messiah come? Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. It's what he's reading. Why did he come? Four reasons. First one being the most critical in that text. It's right there in your Bible. What does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? He's anointed me to do what? To preach good news. Good news to who? Hang on a minute. Who? Come to Bible study tomorrow night, man, and you'll see something awesome here. This word, poor. What does poor mean? Jerry is a front row Christian now. <laughs> the word is not penikros. Penikros means not having a lot of money. You know the widow in 22 of Luke, the poor widow with the two copper coins? Poor penikros. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor 
in spirit. Not panikros, patakos. Patakos. The difference is patakos is Lazarus, the poor beggar. Destitute, having nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Totally without. Not poor, destitute. Blessed are the destitute. Right? Who did Jesus come preaching good news to? The Patakas. Not the Penicros, the Patakas. Not those who are kind of poor financially. Those who are destitute spiritually. You guys tracking with me here? Mm-hmm. To the captives. Captives not in prison per se, but in prison to God and the flesh and sin and the devil and death. Who else is he preaching the gospel to? The blind. Those who can't see spiritual truth and the oppressed. Now, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come and destroy the Gentiles. Jesus stops, interestingly, before the end of verse 2 of Isaiah 61. Do you know what verse 2 of Isaiah 61 says? Take a look. Yeah. The day of vengeance. He stops before the day of vengeance. He says, the year of the Lord's favor is upon us, and he stops. He's saying, the time of vengeance will come, but that vengeance isn't directed at the Gentiles. That vengeance is directed at who? All people who are not poor, oppressed, captive, and destitute. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Unless you realize you have nothing by which to merit God's favor, Jesus did not come to save you. You tracking with me? Here's his message. Good morning, synagogue. Let me say to you, y'all are poor, blind, captive, dead folks before God. You have nothing to merit God's favor. In fact, all you earn from God is condemnation, wrath, and hell. Hallelujah. That's his sermon. Have a a good week. See you on next Saturday. Well, the people just heard the greatest sermon ever preached. This is the greatest orator who ever lived, the greatest expositor of Scripture who ever expounded. They just heard words, and they're going, what happened? Yeshua, you lived here for 30 years. You never preached for us. Your words are like flowery beauty. Irish Jews. (laughs) But then they go, He says, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, I am Messiah. I am Menachem. I am the comforter. They're going, but you cannot be Menachem. You're Joseph's boy. The carpenter kid. Lucky charms and woodwork. (laughs) I'll stop the accents. And they they all of a sudden are building a wall. And Jesus says, y'all are going to say to me, prove to me, that you are who you say you are. That's what he says by this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Prove to me you are who you say you are. And he tells them two stories, and we'll get to this in a second. But these stories made Jews furious at this time. I mean furious. Why? It's a famine in the land. You got King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Baal worship throughout Israel. Apostasy abounding. Drought, famine, Widows are dying. Who does God send his prophet to? 
worse than a foreigner, a Sidonian from the land of Jezebel's dad, the land of Baal worship, at Baal, it's his dad's name. Baal lives. And she believes in God in her hopeless, helpless state, and God saves her. Not a Jew. God saves her. Elisha sends him to Naaman, a, a, a captain, a military guy who takes Jews captive. He's got leprosy. Seven dirty dunks in dirty water for a dirty man. God heals him. It made him furious. Why Naaman? Why the widow? Why not us? Why? The widow knew she was Patakas. Naaman drove himself, God drove him to the point that he knew he was Patakas. The Jewish people never felt they were Patakas. Christian folks don't think they're Patakas. Muslim folks don't think they're Patakas. Jesus only came for the Patakas, and that's why he says, blessed are the Patakas in spirit. Listen, the only reason, one reason people reject Jesus is they will not accept their patakas. They say, well, I can earn God's favor. I can do enough good to merit God's favor. You cannot. God says, be perfect. Is you? God says, keep his law. Did you? Do you want to? Lion dog, come on. Do you want to keep his law all the time? Do you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Anybody visit their great-great-grandpa this week? Why not? He dead. You're captive to sin and death. You don't need evidence that Jesus is the Christ. You have all the evidence you need. You patakis. You're captive to death. You're oppressed by the devil. Just look at the world. Look at yourself. And these people could not come to Jesus and say, woe is me, I have nothing by which to merit God's favor. They couldn't do it. Do you know any good people? I know some good people. Do you know some perfect people? No one is righteous, no, not one. The only reason, shortest sermon you ever heard? No, but it'll be shorter than usual. The only reason people reject Jesus is why? Because they refuse to accept their patakas before God. Friends, as believers, do you remember who you were? Do you know how patakas you are on your own? Who's impressed with themselves? Just a little bit. Everybody close your eyes so everybody can put their hands up. Who's impressed with themselves? Who thinks they're pretty good looking? Pretty smart. Pretty impressive. Pretty powerful. Pretty reputable. Pretty something. Who thinks they're pretty hot stuff? But see, you all do because you say to God, God, here's how it should work. You better check yourself and fix it up because it ain't going how it's supposed to go. God, it's not fair. God, you don't, listen, God, here's what I'm going to do. You just bless it as if God doesn't know what you should be doing because you forgot your patakas. Why do people reject Jesus? You got the answer now? They do not understand, accept, and then embrace the fact that they are 
totally depraved. Doesn't mean you're totally vile compared to other people, but it means according to God's standard, he didn't say go to the synagogue. He didn't say give your money. He didn't say share the gospel. He didn't say read your Bible. You know what God said? Cry out to me for mercy. Call out to me for forgiveness. And Jesus says, and every Jew awaited Isaiah 61. Messiah will come, Isaiah 40. Menachem, Menachem, comfort, comfort, O my people. They awaited a day when God would come to save all people who would trust in him for their righteousness. But legalism overcame that. Self-righteous legalism overtook that. And Jesus comes and says, I am Menachem. I will come in vengeance. But before I do, I bring you good news of great joy. You are lost and damned and cursed. But I so love the world that I've come to live the life you couldn't, to die the death you deserve, and three days later to rise from the dead. Turn to me, Jesus says, and be saved, or I'll come back and destroy you. Well, God, that's not very Christian of you. No, but it's very biblical. What kind of sick love is it that God would have if he wasn't willing to die for us? I mean, it distorts the love of God, doesn't it? The true biblical love of God. Well, who are we worshiping if we're not worshiping a Savior who came to die and rise and still lives today? Who is this imaginary Jesus people have? He's a Jesus without Patakas. You tracking with me here? Here's the rough beauty of the gospel. Y'all stink. You, you have nothing by which to merit God's favor. But we forget that. Listen, I'm a nice guy. I'm nice to my wife. I'm mostly nice to my kids. Well, most, some of the time. I try my best, sort of. I'm pretty nice to you guys. I stop and help people in the street. I hold doors for old people, hold doors for young people. I talk to kids. I enjoy people. I'm a nice guy. God's not that impressed. I'm good looking. Why do y'all laugh every time I'm kidding? God's, I have advanced degrees. God's not impressed. Because God doesn't say, do your best. God says, be perfect. And I don't even try my best. Can we be honest? I don't try my best all the time. Sometimes I just don't care. I'm a pastor, too. I'm being honest with you. But God doesn't say try your best. God says be perfect. All the time, in every way, obey his law from a perfect heart. I don't know about you, but I don't even do that today. Maybe once in a blue moon because I've been born anew in Christ. But we forget who we were. We live in a culture, so-and-so was such a good person. No! So-and-so was Patakas. But Jesus is such a good and great Savior. So-and-so was captive to sin and death. But Jesus came to free them from sin and death. Jesus is a savior who saves those who acknowledge their depravity and captivity and blindness and oppression and cry out to him and say, woe is me, God, save me. 
The gospel isn't be a good person. The gospel starts with acknowledge you ain't a good person. Jesus is the only good person, and he came to save sinners. Why the wrath in Luke 4? Why they want to put him over a cliff? What happened? He's, Cute. He's not the Messiah. Can't be the Messiah. Messiah came to conquer the Gentiles, knock the Romans out of town, and embrace his Jewish people. So they take him to the cliff. <laughs> I love this text. They push him up to the cliff. They're going to kill him. You see what it says right there at the end? Jesus battled them and his powers as deity, wielding a sword of fire. He kicked his left leg out and struck seven men in one blow. With his right fist, he knocked out the rest of the synagogue attenders. And then he took the rabbi down. Did I not read that right? Oh, I, I have a different translation. Don't you love what happens here? They run him to the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. You can ask. No. Because it wasn't his time to die. No one takes his life from him. Took him to the cliff. He let them take him to the cliff. God sovereign. Stood on the precipice of the cliff. Whole synagogue out there in rage, holding stones. And Jesus, in perfect calm, controlled demeanor says, no, not today. And he walked right through. It's like a preschool class during a rebellion. You can't win a fight with God. But Jesus came not to fight. He came to say, stop swinging at Yahweh. You're going to get hurt. He says, I'll come swing, but before I swing, I invite you to acknowledge what you're doing. I invite you to acknowledge your poverty and call out to a God of riches and ask for mercy. The people could not trust in him, would not trust in him because of their blindness. How do blind people see? The answer is not to call Benny Hinn. He'll take your money and leave you blind. Call Jesus. He don't want your money, but he'll give you sight. What's Jesus' phone number? 1-800-PATAKASME. Somebody's going to dial that up. I don't know what you'd get, so don't call it. But if you cry out to God and acknowledge, God, I have nothing by which or with which to merit your favor, you will hear from God, it's okay. Because, says God, I have a righteousness that will be imputed to you. An alien righteousness. The righteousness of another will be poured out upon you. As believers, only to the extent that we realize our our patakas apart from Christ, Will we enjoy Christ as he has saved us too? Your life is full of literally hundreds of thousands of choices. From the little to the big, but the big choices are just a result of thousands of little choices. You know that? And you'll make your choices this way. I think, I think, I think, I think. Feels good, feels good, feels good, feels good. Looks good, looks good, looks good, looks good. World says, world says, world says, world says. And do you know where you end up? Let's just say not in a good spot. 
If you read James, James would say you'll either end up cast in sin or you end up finding out that you never really knew Jesus. But Jesus reminds us in this text as his people to live this way. Here's how you make decisions. Decisions that lead to joy. Decisions that lead to God's glory. Are you ready? God said, God said, God said, God said. Pastor, are you saying God tells us what flavor ice cream to eat? Yes, he does. You know what flavor ice cream God would tell you to eat if you're at the ice cream shop? This is a biblical answer. You ready for this? Say you got 20 flavors. What flavor would God tell you to eat at the ice cream shop? Depends how you got there. If someone took you there to treat you to ice cream, pick a flavor. If you came in without any money and a gun and you're going to steal the ice cream, walk out of the place quick. If your kid took you there and wanted to buy you chocolate ice cream, you buy the chocolate ice cream. You see, you take principles and precepts of Scripture and you apply them understanding that God's law, listen to this, I just blew by this way too fast. God's law is unique in that here's where it leads. He has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim liberty to the captives. What does liberty mean? You're all going, liberty, 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 liberty. See, you watch too much TV. Stop. Jerry's on fire today. Come all the way up, Jerry. You've earned the praise. Is that how it works? Yeah, apparently. You're in the third, technically, but we won't get into that. The Hoovers are on probation right now. If, they, if you guys can get your act together, you can come for it anyway. Liberty means freedom. What did Christ set us free for? For freedom, Christ has set us free. You ever read Psalm 19? Hmm. You get to verse 9, or 7, I should say. The law of the Lord is annoying robbing us of joy. The testimony of God is outrageous, making foolish the wise. Is that what it said? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Here's life without Christ. Put a blindfold on. Get in a car. Start the engine and drive. Mm -hmm. How'd that going to work out? You won't die right away, but you'll, you'll massively hurt yourself at some point. How's life work out apart from Christ? How do blind people live? It looks like a lot of fun until you crash. What's the crash point? It varies, but ultimately death. Jesus came to conquer death, didn't he? Part of what we're captive to, part of what we're imprisoned is, is death. See, here's the big difference between a believer and a non-believer. When we die, we start to live. When they die, they really enter into eternal death. The trick is they don't go away, do they? There's no annihilation. Everybody lives forever. It's where you live forever, and here's the answer. You can either battle with God or you can be reconciled to God as a child of God. They took God to the cliff. Gonna throw you over. I, just, I love that text. Jesus just goes, no, not today. not today. 
shows up later on, you stick with me about three more years, Pilate, don't you know I could take your life? He's not, sway- he's not shaken. You know, he goes, no, nah, not so much. Not so much. What do you think would happen if Jesus got in the ring with Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's prime? You know, Mike come out with his towel over his head and, and he never had music, just comes out with that crazy look, right? You imagine Jesus just standing in the ring? This, I, I bet this is what it would look like. This is what life is. He'd walk up to Iron Mike, and before the fight started, everyone's cheering Mike on, booing Jesus. He'd walk up to Iron Mike and go, Mike, Michael, don't do it. You're going to get hurt. What are you talking about, son? <laughs> it's all. He says, gives him a hug. Why are you hugging me? Because I love you. Why do you love me? Right? And Jesus just standing there. I bet he'd literally start to weep. Mike, don't do it. Mike, don't do it. And then Mike would start swinging. And he hit him, and, and it looked like he knocked him out. Jesus laying on, they take him out on the stretcher. Iron Mike is the literal king of the world. They take him back to the locker room. Jesus is dead. Mike knocked him out, Cole killed him. Mike goes on a three-day parade throughout the world. Out of kill world! And all of a sudden, reports start to break. Jesus, he seems to be back. And now they're going to have a rematch. And Mike comes in the ring, all fired up, and Jesus comes in the ring in his robes of righteousness, and the fight doesn't last so long. You may think you win a battle with God in this world, but you don't win a battle with God in this world. He simply uses what you do for his glory. There's one simple reason people deny Christ, and as you share the gospel with people, here's where you've got to get. You've got to get the person to this challenging point. God says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Do you see your unrighteousness before God? If the person cannot get to that point, Jesus is nothing to them in the sense of a savior. But they will one day meet him face to face. Well, how does this apply to our lives? Your life is a constant challenge, an invitation to trust God, to recognize how dumb you really are, how blind on your own you truly are, how simple-minded on your own you truly are, how depraved of mind on your own you truly are. We're going to talk downstairs in Sunday school a little bit about the concept of loving sin. Does anyone here just come in this morning and be like, you know what? I really do love sin. But you do. And until you acknowledge, even as people who are saved, that you love sin, you're going to really struggle to love Jesus. Now, when I say love sin, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying like, you're like, I can't wait to go home and murder someone today. I'm going to watch some child pornography. I'm going to steal stuff from people. I'm just going to run people over and kill squirrels. I'm not talking about that. That's a big problem. Any one of those is a big problem. I'm talking about seeking to take God's glory for yourself. I'm talking about answering questions based on I think I want as opposed to God says and God desires. Do you see the little difference there? Jesus got up in the synagogue. Real quick, we'll start coming in for Landon. I love the widow of Zarephath. You know the story there? It's this lady... She got nothing left. She's run out of food. Oh, I think it's 1 Kings 17. 
The man of God comes, Elijah. He says, give me something to drink and some food. She's got like one meal left. What do you say if you have one meal left? Well, if you're trained in the synagogue of Nazareth, you go, prove yourself. Show me a sign. Show me a sign. Good thing she wasn't trained in the synagogue of Nazareth. She was hopeless and helpless and cried out to God to save her. You know how the story end? She starved to death. No, she didn't starve to death. How'd the story end? She ever run out of food? Her son died though, right? And Elijah raised him him from the dead. Get out of here. You're saying if you trust in God, God will provide for all of your needs. In fact, he might even raise you from the dead at the end. Amen? Got Naaman, 2 Kings 5, nasty dude, military leader. He captured a girl in 2 Kings 5, took her captive from the Israelites, made her a slave in his household. Naaman got himself some leprosy. The little girl says to him, I know a guy who can fix you up. He's a man of God. Naaman says, tell me what I must do. Word comes. Dunk yourself in this, in this dirty body of water seven times. I'm a noble man. I'm not getting in that nasty water. I am British, not Irish. <laughs> And finally, the Lord is gracious and humbles him. And he takes his leprosy self, and he gets himself seven dunks in the dirty water, and the dirty man becomes clean. Why? He was hopeless and helpless and cried out to God. He didn't say, prove yourself. He looked at himself. I am vile. The widow of Zarephath didn't say, prove yourself. She said, I got one meal left, and I'm dying anyway. Let's let it ride. My friends, look at yourself. God says, be perfect. Don't find your identity in what you see in the mirror. Find your identity in what you see in Christ. See, that's the problem the whole world has. You are special. You ain't so special. But in Christ, you are more special than you realize. You may be smarter than somebody else. You may be better looking than somebody else. You may be stronger than somebody else. You may be wealthier than somebody else. But first of all, you're all going to die. And someone always is better looking, smarter, richer, and more successful than you. Quit playing the game. It's a backwards Thanksgiving game. Well, I'm thankful that I have family. I'm thankful I have family, but stick with me. I'm thankful for my house, for my kids, for my job. Thankful I have two arms and two legs. I'm thankful I'm not the armless, legless, blind man who lives under a bridge, who people spit at all day and has no family and friends. Well, here's the thing. If that armless, legless, blind, destitute man under the bridge, the Patakas guy living under the bridge in the middle of the winter, knew Jesus, he's the richest dude you ever met. His name, Lazarus. His name was Lazarus. <laughs> and Dives, a rich guy, he had a little problem. My friends, do you understand who you are in Christ and how you became such? Do you understand what keeps people from Christ? It's one thing. It's not, well, I don't believe the dinosaurs really lived. Give me a break. We'll get back to the dinosaurs. That's an easy one. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I appreciate that. I was there at one point. We'll talk about that. That's an easy answer. I don't believe there is a God. Hogwash. We know you do. I don't. Stop. Here's what you don't believe. You don't believe your Patakas. That's it. You want evidence that the word of God is true? I can show you this. It says your Patakas. Stop and think about it in your heart. Don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to God. Ask yourself, which God are you worshiping? The God of I think? God to me, G-O-D-T-O-M-E? The American deity most widely worshiped? Or the God who is? The God who you created in your image or the God who created you in his image? And that God's a scary dude. Pardon me, Lord, for calling you dude. That God is a scary God. 
but he's a loving and gracious and merciful God. Jesus is a, uh, an interesting man who was God. He stands in the synagogue, truly God and truly man. They've known him for 30 years. It's Joseph's kid. He ran around in diapers in this town, right? His first sermon he preached. Well, technically, side comment for you, clean up next week. You see there's a gap between verse 13 and 14 in your Bible? I don't mean the space gap. It's a gap called John 1:29 to John 4. There's a whole lot that took place between verse 13 and 14. And you can read about all that took place from John 1:29 to John 4. You got the wedding of Cana, you got the lady in Samaria, you got flipping tables in the temple, you got a trip to Capernaum, you got calling of disciples. A whole lot took place between there. Why does Luke not incorporate that? It doesn't fit his flow. There's a whole lot that took place in here. And when Jesus shows up to Nazareth, the word has already spread. They've heard about him. That's why they say in verse 14 and verse 23. So in 14, it says a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Amen? Then it says down here, show us what you did in Capernaum. Listen to me. You got all the evidence you need. Word is spread about this Jesus guy. You could deny him or you can accept him. And after you accept him, here's what your life is comprised of. Denying or accepting him moment by moment. Not for salvation, but in the process of sanctification. It's a humbling message, isn't it? The good Jews are sitting there waiting for Messiah to free them from bondage to the Romans and the wicked, evil Gentiles. You know those nasty people like Naaman and the widow of Zarephath? And finally, Messiah's come, and Jesus is, is start, we're starting to spread. And this is Messiah. He's flipping tables in the temple. We got the story from Mary. We got that John the Baptist baptism thing going on. We got testimony galore. And then he gets up to preach, and his words are beautiful. His sermon is expounded perfectly. They don't quite know what to do with it. So they say he's got gracious words, but hang on, isn't this Joseph's kid? And he says, here's what you're going to do. He read their mind. Don't, don't you love it? He read their mind. And he's reading your mind, too. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, prove it. Do you think if Jesus walked in that back door today, you'd, you would follow him perfectly? No. So you're going to say, prove it. He says, I'll give you all the evidence you need. And he points to Elijah, and he points to Elisha. And it made them furious. And that's, that's what happens. Jesus either humbles you to the point of recognizing your depravity and crying out to God for forgiveness, or you respond in rage and anger to Jesus. And what we have culturally now is a neutered, made-up, imaginary Jesus who doesn't tell you you're Patakas. He tells you a line like this. There is greatness in you. Remember that in the video downstairs? He invites you to a church that says, would you like a, a better life, a better marriage, better finances, better kids, better vocational success? Follow these principles, positive self-help. Listen, there are benefits in Jesus to be had and enjoyed by his people. Amen? People tell me quite often, well, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Stay focused, John. There are benefits to be had in Jesus. But if you come to Jesus for the benefits, you got a little problem. Because that's called using Jesus. If you come to Jesus in your patakas, you let Jesus use you, and you enjoy the benefits. Now, I would like to continue on here, 
if I might, into verse 33. So since we got an extra hour, I figure I can preach a second sermon. <laughs> Not going to do that today. We are, we are about to get into the meat of this text. And what I want you to take from this text today is I'd like you to spend some time thinking about this. First of all, if you have not trusted in Jesus, maybe you're listening in, I really want you to, to stop and think about why. What is it that prevents you from trusting in Christ? It's not an evidence issue, is it? It's a pride issue. And the only difference between a Christian who's trusted in Christ and a person who hasn't trusted in Christ, you ready for this? It's called grace. The only way you can see your depravity before God is if God opens your eyes to see that depravity, and one of the ways he does it is through his law. You know the Ten Commandments? How are you doing with them? You shall have no other gods before me. Well, I think we may have a problem there. We're called to worship God in truth. Read Matthew 5 and watch Jesus unpack the Ten Commandments. It gets scary. You must be perfect. You're not perfect, but that's not bad news. It's good news in Christ because Jesus didn't come for perfect people. He came to save imperfect people. In fact, his words are, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Acknowledge your sickness before God and God will save you and make you healthy. But for those of us who've trusted in Christ, here's the challenge to reflect on. Where are you forgetting the wisdom of God and depending on your own wisdom? Where are you trying to impress God by what you do as opposed to resting in what God has done so that he is well pleased with you already? Amen? Where are you, in fact, living blind? Where are you rewrapping on grave clothes? Where are you doing the I thinks versus the God says? Jesus tells us he's a good shepherd. Where are you running outside of the flock trying to find a shortcut per last week? Amen? Remember last week's sermon with the eggs or ramps? Do you remember who's guiding us, where he's guiding us, and what for? He took Patakas people and made us what? Rich. You ever think about that, Flip? You're not just forgiven in Christ. You're born anew in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set you free. And he has bestowed riches on you beyond your wildest dream. Here's the thing with those riches. They're enjoyed in fullness on the other side of death. But there are many to be enjoyed on this side of eternity as well. Amen? Such as what? We have peace with God. We were once blind, but now we can see. God is for us rather than against us. God dwells in us. God gives us new desires. God gives us purpose and joy and meaning. God allows us to store up treasure in heaven. Amen? Where are you failing to remember your patakas? and the perfect righteousness of Christ entrusted to you. Would you rather be like the rich man who threw scraps of food over the table to poor Lazarus? Or poor Lazarus who knew God and spent eternity with him forever? Praise God, we don't have to make that choice necessarily in our temporal circumstances. But remember, you're not such good people. But Jesus is a perfect Savior. Making former sin addicts into people more and more perfect day by day. Amen? Amen? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, your gospel is an unsettling gospel. It is good news that comes through bad news.
Yet too often we try to make it good news without bad news. The world throws at us constantly a gospel of you're good, but God can make you better. But Lord Jesus, you come to say, no, we're Patakas. And you came to make Patakas perfect. Lord God, we are positionally perfect before you in Christ. And one day we will be practically so. Lord God, so often we forget. Help us to remember. Help us to remember who we were, who you are, and who we have been made in you through Christ. Lord, help us to live with less and less hypocrisy each day. Help us to depend on you more fully, not because we have to to impress you, but because of the love you've shown for us and the reality of our identity in Christ. Lord, protect us from false gospels. Protect us from ourselves. Protect us from the allure of sin. And give us a desire to pursue righteousness. Lord God, help us to not be like those in the synagogue in Nazareth who were so familiar with Jesus they couldn't see who he was. Lord, especially as we head into Easter in just a few weeks, a time of year that's way too familiar to all of us. I pray, Lord, that you might be preparing us to see our risen Lord afresh and anew. Not a God we could ever be complacent with, but a God who we are increasingly enthralled with, his magnificence and perfection. Lord God, thank you for the work you did in the widow of Zarephath's life. Thank you for the fact that you came to save enemies of yours like Naaman, nasty folks who harmed your people. You showed them grace. Lord, thank you for showing us grace. Help us to live our lives in light of grace. And help us to trust in your wisdom alone for your glory and the joy that you desire for us. Lord God, thank you that you are who you say that you are, that we are who you say we are in Christ, that you will do all that you say you will do, and that you will bring to completion the work you began in us on the day of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.